Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mike's. Guys, it's Sunday night, so we are three nights removed from Carolina's trip down to Miami. I believe I had to score 18-13 uh, Miami. I think you guys were more in line with the official outcome. But, Buck, I'll, I'll go to you. Um, I'm not sure how much more uh, the North Carolina football fan base can take. Uh, 47 to 10 or whatever it was, East Carolina debacle. Sure, they beat Pittsburgh, Central Florida boat race, to use your term, Pittsburgh this past weekend. Your thoughts a few days after yet another uh, route for the Tar Heels? You know, it, it's kind of difficult, I think, to have a measured response to it. I mean, either you're like, you know what, this is what I expected. You know, it's UNC football is in such a horrible spot that, you know, I, I expected this. It's no shock to me. And, and the other side of that is, and I, I think this is apparent, and, and maybe Jason doesn't agree with me, but he might. Um, and there's some talent on this UNC football team. Um, I, I think they have some talented people. I don't think they have talent at the quarterback position, which is a huge problem, as we've talked about before in these podcasts, and probably in the very last podcast we did. But there are some good, really good football players on this team. Um, and the fact that I think they're not playing to their talent level um, is, is a problem. And I think that's a problem. And on offense, it's easy to to say, well, you've got a, a quarterback problem there and people that were expecting Chad of the offense were rudely disappointed uh, this past weekend. But on the other side of the ball, um, you know, there there are some talented people on that defense. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Jalen Dalton, Jeremiah Clark, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people on the defensive line. I think uh, Dominic Ross is played as well as uh, you know anyone. Has it far exceeded my expectations? Uh, and he's he's providing North Carolina a real uh, option as far as a linebacker that can cover that they haven't had in the last two years. I don't believe. And, you know, there, there's some, you know, quality players in the secondary. But for whatever reason, it's not – they're not playing to the level of their talent. And I think that's across the board, offense, defense. Uh, probably the special teams comes closest to playing to, their, to the level of talent that North Carolina has. I just don't believe that the level of talent that North Carolina has justifies what we're seeing except for that – one point that Jason and I talk about all the time is if you don't have a quarterback, a legitimate ACC caliber quarterback under center, you're going to struggle. And I get that, but it's not just on offense. It's also on defense. 
Jason, I'll let you go from there. I mean, the defense looks bad because the offense looks terrible at times. But let's talk about quarterback specifically, Jason. I don't think you can be successful at all um, unless you have the 85 Bears defense or the 2000 Ravens defense or whatever it was. But Carolina's quarterbacks, as good as the running backs are, and I think the running backs are as good as any group that Carolina's had in a good while. The quarterbacks are, at least the two that played on uh, Thursday night, just not good. And that's being as nice as I can be about it. And I don't know how you can remotely overcome that as a team and have any success if you're going to get that type of play um, from those guys, from those two. I there's really not much more to add than what you both just said on that though. I mean, I, I, I had a Wilson times article up about what, two weeks ago where I basically said, listen, it comes down to the quarterback position. If you don't have good play at the quarterback position, you can pretty much, you can pretty much mail it in. That's that. And all you need to do is look at the difference in efficiency between Mitch Trubisky when he was at at at, uh, at Carolina, when he was in college, when he was uh, at the starting position, and uh, Marquise Williams when he was at the uh, starting spot, and then the current situation. Look at look at what those at the numbers that those guys put up, and then you look at these guys, and there's your difference. Not much else. I think this team is not – I think you're right, Buck. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between the talent level overall on this team and the 2014 team or the 2015 team. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between this team. I think it's probably more talented than the 14 team. I think it's probably on par overall with the 2015 team, except at one position. And, you know, 2016 team, This I think this team's probably a little more talented overall than the 2016 team was, except at one position. So, yeah, I mean, it it's, it's awfully hard when you're not getting quality play from that position. I mean, I'm looking it up right now. You look at, I'm just going to go, I mean, obviously Trubisky's the second pick in the draft. So let's just bracket him. Let's go back to Marquise Williams in 2015. Has a really, really good team around him, but I don't think this team is all that much behind that team talent-wise across the board. I think this this defense may actually be a little bit more talented than that team was. And offensively, I think I think you're right, Tommy, that this this set of running backs is probably close uh, to that group. Uh, wide receiver-wise, they've got talent, maybe just a tick behind that group. But 2015, Marquise Williams, 61% passing, 8.1 yards per attempt. 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So two, two and a half touchdowns for every one interception, right? That's a rating of 150.2. And then, uh, you know, you had Trubisky come in for a non-trivial amount as well, averaging 11 yards per attempt and six touchdowns, no picks. So between the two of them, you're looking at nine yards per, per attempt, 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So three touchdowns for every one interception, right? This year, you're looking at, 56% completion percentage. That's a significant drop. 5.5 5 yards per attempt. 
that's just over half the yards per attempt that those other two got. And usually you're pretty, pretty pleased if you get 5.5 yards per rush. But if you're doing it within the passing game, the passing game comes with more risk. You expect a, a higher return. And three touchdowns and seven interceptions on the year. Well, that's it. <laughs> you know, if, if you're if you're in a hearing right now and that's all the evidence you have, then uh, you know, regardless of the uh, position, the, the the political persuasion that those people are in, uh, everybody's going to vote the same way once they're presented with that evidence. That's not that's not ambiguous. Buck, I've got a question for you, but first let me talk about Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. All fall, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill is partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for our IC podcast listeners. Right now, use the code HEELS15, get 15% off your order. It's online promotion only, but nothing beats Jersey Mike's for a quick, delicious lunch or tailgate alternative before a big game. Here's how it works. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order, show the locations nearest you, click your order, Get your favorite sub at checkout, enter Heels 15, get 15% off that order. Skip the line, head straight to the register, and grab your food and you're on your way. It's our opinion Jersey Mike Subs is the superior sub option. It's tasty, delicious, and always hits the spot. So do it today. Place an online, lo- place an online order at one of the four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. It's super easy, and remember Heels 15. Three locations in Chapel Hill on Elliott Road off MLK, and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on 54. The one in Hillsborough is right off 261 off I-40. Super convenient driving to Chapel Hill or if you're cruising by town. And now look for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC Podcast. Get a discount off your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win. So, Buck, uh, what to do about it? And we talked about it briefly off air. We've talked about it um, before on the podcast. I think, and I said it on Twitter, at some point people were screaming and hollering, why wasn't Fortin getting time in the Miami game? I think had that happened, they'd have gotten him killed. Uh, But I think it's time to see him tried out there with the ones against Virginia Tech. Got to buy this weekend. You got plenty of time to get him prepared, plenty of time to get him ready. There's no red shirt issue at all by playing him against Virginia Tech. There's no downside, I don't think, playing him against Virginia Tech. I don't see how and I don't know that it could get any worse than it was Thursday night in Miami. I mean, hitting defenders really bad. Hitting defenders in stride for pick sixes. (laughs) And and I you know, I really don't like to to get on kids too much, but that's what happened. And then not securing the ball when the blitz is coming straight in your face for another touchdown. I mean, Buck, tell me why, uh, as you say, my favorite guy on the team every year shouldn't be the starter against Virginia Tech. Tell me one rational reason why Cade Fortin should not start against Virginia Tech. Well, as you say, Tommy, and – I'm I'm just going to uh, maybe break with tradition here and say that you have a good idea. <laughs> I think uh, I've been right twice in a row with you on podcasts. That, or, that, that or... may be true. <laughs> uh, but, but here's the thing. Um, you, you, you talk about, and I think this is the most important part of what you said, is what's the downside? 
And I, I think at this point forward in the season, the downside of playing a true freshman quarterback is much less than it was at the start of the season. At the start of the season, if you to put, you know, Cade Fortin in as a starter over Nathan Elliott or and Chas Rat when he became eligible last week, um, it would have been there would have been plenty of downside. There would have been plenty of downside. But at this point in the season, what is the downside? Um, I think, and, and we we have to factor this into it, and I don't like to talk about this as much as other people do, but um, Larry Fedora, I think, hopes to come back as a coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels in 2019. And if, if he's going to do that, is he going to energize anybody in the UNC fan base if he just plays Elliott and Surratt the rest of the season? And and I, I got to say this, and I, I don't like to bang on players either, uh, like Tommy. I, I, I'm not a fan of uh, calling out individual players. But I think it has to be said, I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback that had a negative passer efficiency rating in the history of UNC football. Uh, you know, there. If, if you've got a quarterback rating of 109.95, but if you've got a quarterback that's producing a passing efficiency rating of negative 11. Oh, my gosh. You know, that, <laughs> that's, not something you, that's not something you can live with. You know, you That's can, hard to do on purpose, to be honest. Right. You know, I mean, even if Miami didn't have a defense on the field, you know, it, it, if it was just North Carolina playing against air, it would be hard to have. Um, well, I, I'm going in a different direction there, but still, um, you know, like last year, you know, in, in the games that Surratt played, he had a rating of 131.22. Uh, now, of course, he didn't go against Miami's defense that entire time. You go back to to 2016, Trubisky had a quarterback efficiency passing rating of 157.91. So you, you, you can't live with an offense. With North Carolina's program is – Let's just call it what it is. It's based on the offense. You live and die on offense with North Carolina football under the Larry Fedora era. And if you have a passing efficiency rating for the year of 99.95, considering all the quarterbacks, you're going to lose a lot of football games. I mean, that's just, it's hard to do worse than that. So I think in terms of giving the fan base some hope, you can trot out uh, Cade Fortin and see if he can do better. Um, he might not be able to do better. And there's a downside to that too, talking of downsides, as you mentioned, Tommy. What if you trot uh, Cade Fortin out against the Virginia Tech defense and he lays an egg? Then where are you? 
I mean, there are risks to every scenario, but I would say uh, we already know, and I think the evidence is in, um, you know, maybe Jason would disagree with me on this, but I would say neither Nathan Elliott or Chas Ratt, if those are two guys you roll with the rest of the season, that's not going to give anybody any confidence for 2019. So if you put a true freshman in, Cade Fortin, and he lays an egg, at least you can say, well, he's a true freshman. He'll do better next year. But you, you've got to give, at this point, you've got to start trying to think about how do we give the fan base hope. And I don't think you can give the fan base hope with Nathan Elliott and Chas Rett. I'd like to see Chasserette switch positions. You know, I mean, might make a good stand-up tight end. Uh, who knows, you know, uh, or just a a really good wide receiver. We don't know what we can do with Chasserette, but I, I don't think he's going to be a quarterback that is going to give North Carolina an advantage in any of the games they have left remaining on this schedule. Watching him. Jason, he started out well running the ball. And, um, you know, I was thinking sort of a, a wildcat role for him. But like Buck said, give the fan base some hope. Um, I think watching Florida State, the fact that they somehow had that miracle and beat Louisville, that gave they Florida They stole that game. They did not belong. They did not deserve to win that game. But it gives the fan base some hope. And for North Carolina – against Virginia Tech, who's not been kind to the Hills the last couple of years. I mean, hope's all you got. And, Buck, you mentioned what happened if he comes out there. Then, you know, if you go down having shot all your bullets and your gun's empty and you still get beat, then you just got beat. Until Fortin gets his shot, the fan base is not going to be happy. Jason, your thoughts on that? I don't think – it's playing a true freshman – yeah, you got to be ready to play in college, especially for a team like Carolina. But your thoughts on doing that? Because I so, think I think we've seen what we got uh, when we look at Surratt and Elliott. So two things on that. One is be care. I I I err on the side of caution when it comes to a to a young quarterback. You know, you you kind of want to say, okay, well, what what's the worst that could happen? Uh, and, you know, say, well, you want to give the fans some hope. But what, what's more important than giving fans some reason to hope at this stage is making sure that you don't ruin a young kid. Yep. And, you know, I don't know exactly where Fortin is in his, in his development process right now. But I do know that starting or, or even playing, really, a true freshman against Bud Foster and all the looks that he's going to throw at you and all the all the stuff that you're going to have to see that's a, that's a tall that's a that's a tall glass of water that's a tough ask to to for for you know a, a freshman to to handle and you know this is one thing talking to to Jimbo Fisher a few years ago about playing young quarterbacks and all that he he had a saying about that where he said he's of the view that it's a lot easier to ruin a kid than it is to develop him and one of the things that will ruin a kid quickly is, and you see this even in the NFL is you see a guy, he gets drafted high by an organization that doesn't have a whole lot surrounding him. And then he's thrown right out on the field 
with without a whole lot without a whole lot of uh, of of support for a bad team and the game's moving really fast and then all of a sudden that guy three years later, four years later is out of the NFL or he's, you know, a journeyman backup for, for some years and regarded as a bust and not all in half the time, I would say it's not always, it's, it's, it's not the quarterback that really was the bust. It's the organization that ruined him because you know, basically it's shell shock. You, you know, it's, it's P, basically quarterbacks. If they're played, if you play a quarterback too early, if you play a quarterback in a, too early in a bad situation, that quarterback just might wind up with PTSD, you know, the equivalent of PTSD, you know, play, players PTSD. And so that's my concern in terms of what might happen if you turn to, to Fortin. Now, you may be right that right now, you know, Elliott and Surratt are just not going to get it done. And, you know, they need to, find, they need to get Fortin ready as, as, as soon as possible to have any hope. But the, for me, if you're not going to, you know, it, right now it doesn't look likely that Carolina is going to make a bowl, right? If you're not going to make a bowl, which sucks too, because you're going to lose all of those, that extra practice. It's like losing an extra spring practice for the development of those kids. But if you're not going to make a bowl, then the benefit of, of, star, of potentially ruining that young kid is minimal. You know, the, the potential upside. You might as well let the older guys take all the lumps and potentially, you know, get, give them the the remaining PTSD and start back over with the, with the kid when he's just a little bit more ready. I, but again, it depends on how far he is, how close he is to being ready, and that's something you can see a little bit in practice and preparation and all that. I'm also not quite as ready to close the book entirely on Surratt. Um, you know, th- this goes back to something that we talked about in the last podcast, Tommy, with, uh, with Mike Ingersoll, where he was talking about how it was almost a certainty that Surratt had not taken, uh, had not, had not benefited from his time with the scout team and that he would come back and probably be pretty rusty, not really have a full, not really be fully integrated because odds are based on how guys tend to take those, those scout team reps that he wouldn't be, but he just wouldn't, he wouldn't be in the best frame. Uh, and and I think that was what we saw. I personally would like to see Surratt a lot more against Virginia Tech. Let him, and then you know if 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 he's you know continues to bust out in that one and and, and play poorly, then get Elliott in there as he needs to be. Let them take their lumps against Virginia Tech, and and maybe Surratt's dynamism athletically gives you something. Maybe he finds something downfield. Maybe maybe there's some hope there. I'm not willing to 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 close the book based on what what happened against Miami in a game where he's probably relatively underprepared on a short week against a good defense. But but then after the Virginia Tech game, if you know he's completely lost in that game as well, then you start looking on the schedule for a more suitable opponent where you say, okay, defensively they don't do a whole lot that really is going to traumatize this kid. Uh, you know, this, this matchup looks like a good spot to, to really get this kid some confidence. And maybe that's when you start your freshman. That's how I'd be thinking as a coach. Buck, that sounds like a pretty good plan. I don't know if folks listening to this podcast would like that, but I, I can't really argue with that approach. Mike Ingersoll hit the nail on the head when he talked about uh, what to expect after guys have been on the, on the scout team for sure. I won't repeat what he said, but it was, 
a little bit colorful and right funny. Uh, but your thoughts on Jason's take there, let Surratt get reps with the ones, go against Virginia Tech. I think, for me, uh, I'd like to see uh, Fortin in that number two spot, um, aside from Elliott. But, Buck, your take there, just looking ahead to Virginia Tech and maybe giving Surratt um, another shot at it and see what he can do fully prepared. Yeah, you know, it's entirely reasonable what – uh, Jason had to say, and, you know, it, if North Carolina chose to go in that direction, you know, there's certainly nothing I could argue with, uh, except after the fact with, uh, 2020 hindsight, <laughs> but, um, here, here's the thing. Um, Virginia tech's defense is not that awesome this year. Uh, you'd be surprised to know maybe that North Carolina's defense is better than Virginia Tech's defense this year so far. Um, although this is a very, very bad stat to use in terms of total defensive yards, but uh, North Carolina has only averaged giving up um, 386 yards a game. Virginia Tech's given up 388. This is, you know, even though um, Bud Foster is, you know, an excellent defensive coordinator and they produce great defenses year in and year out, no question. Um, their defense this year is not the typical Virginia Tech defense. And that they had problems during their office off season with, you know, players that they lost and some, some other issues going on on the defensive, defensive side of the ball. You know, the, the Miami defense is like 140 yards per game better than the Virginia tech defense. Um, the only teams worse than Virginia tech right now in total defense are Syracuse and Wake Forest. That's it. Uh, well, Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I don't think this is a typical Bud Foster defense. And the the You're issue really ninth though when you go per play. Yeah. Well, so well, that's still that's still not not great. <laughs> that 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 that's not a Bud Foster defense, right? But he's uh, still going to throw a ton of complexity at you, and that's what I'm concerned about. Is you're going to get some some looks that you're not going to see week in week out from him with a, with a young guy. He's yeah, going to throw you know, some trap stuff and, at you. He's going to throw some 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 fronts and things at you that you just haven't seen, and that that's hard to deal with. And and depending on on the kid, that's that's where you can really get get in trouble for the future. You you, you don't want to to create bad. You don't want to create bad habits and bad bad action patterns for a kid. That's what my concern is. Even if their defense isn't great, it's that stuff that, that worries me. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm going to go here uh, next in, in terms of um, just looking at it from a macro perspective. You know, if you looked at Mitch Trubisky last year or even in the first – three games or whatever of the NFL season, um, you know, it, not great. And, and you, you're kind of throwing him in, throwing him in the fire. Um, you know, he's uh, 
playing on a bad team. You were talking about NFL and, and quarterbacks having to play on bad teams and it wrecking them forever and, and whatnot. Um, yesterday, uh, even though Mitch had a he only threw seven touchdown passes uh, his rookie year and had only thrown two touchdown passes so far this year, all of a sudden against uh, Tampa Bay, which granted had some issues in the secondary, he throws six touchdown passes. Well, again, you know, uh, it's tough to throw six ton, six touchdown passes against air. Uh, and so they took their lumps that, you know, they, they put him in the fire. They said, this is our guy. This is who we're going to hang our hat on. And, um, so, you know, he's going to have to, you know, have some bad games and have some rough outings, which he had, you know, uh, last week and which he got raked over to Coles, um, I guess it's Mike Wilbon that just like crucified him uh, on Sports Center, but in response he throws a uh, six touchdown game uh, yesterday. So, um, you know, it, 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 I think it's a little bit more at this point. I get Jason's point that you don't want to. It's like you don't want to ruin a two-year-old thoroughbred on a racetrack. You know, you want to, you know, kind of hold them back and, and build them up and, and all that sort of thing. But I think at this point, it, you can almost sell the idea that Cade Fortin goes out next week against Virginia Tech and doesn't get totally wrecked like Chas Rat and Nathan Elliott have so far this year. And you can sell that as there's promise for the future. And, you know, it, it gets to be, there's some conflicting ideas going on there that I think you have to keep in mind. And, and I think at this point, you've got the air on the side of let's generate some optimism for the future. And let's face it. If Kate Fortin goes out there against Virginia tech, and lays as big an egg as Elliot and Surratt have so far this season, still you can generate some enthusiasm going forward in the fact that, hey, he's, he's taking his lumps, he's going through a learning process, you know, he's developing as a quarterback, whereas you can't say that about Elliot and Surratt. And so, you know, I, I do think there's a delicate balance there. I don't think that Jason is, is wrong in what he's saying. But I think at this point, you've got to start thinking about if I'm going to survive into the next season, I've got to start building some development for the future. And we already know, you know, maybe the jury's not completely out on Surratt, you know, but I would say at this point is start – it's time to start thinking about maybe it's time to start putting our eggs in a different basket. Good stuff, Buck. Guys, let me take a chance to talk about Heels Travel. One of the best road trips for a UNC away game is to Charlottesville, Virginia to see the Carolina and the Cavaliers. 
And right now, thanks to HillsTravel.com, there's no better way to get there. HillsTravel.com is selling bus packages now for the October 27th game in Charlottesville. Bus leaves from Chapel Hill and returns the same day. It's a great college town. The leaves are changing. Late October in Charlottesville will be beautiful. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. And right now, Hills Travel is selling packages to two UNC basketball games in Vegas over the Thanksgiving weekend. Two Carolina games, three nights in Vegas, no headaches or concerns, and it sounds pretty awesome. The package includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation to and from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the RA Resort and Casino in Vegas. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. Jason, uh, before the break, Buck talked about um, Trubisky a little bit and how he played, certainly played well Sunday against the Bucks, tore it up six touchdowns total. Um, my question to you about that is how much of that um, not wrecking a quarterback or throwing a quarterback to the fire and he not, you know, have the PTSD for quarterbacks or how much of that is the makeup of the quarterback or, or the, of the kid or the man versus um, how a coaching staff handles that or handles that player both before, during and after um, throwing them to the fire. I mean, Speak to that a little bit, because I think that is somewhat lost, um, is how much the coaching staff has to do with it, and also the actual makeup of the kid themselves. That's a great question, Tommy. It really is. And, you know, it, it to a large degree, it's, it, it's a smaller part of the nature versus nurture debates that, you know, have been going on since, you know, humans could have those kinds of debates. Uh so, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it, it, it's a, it's an interplay of the two factors. I mean, it, you are dealing with some guys can handle it better than others. Some guys just temperamentally are guys that can handle that beating, can handle the, the struggles better than other guys. Uh, but on the flip side, all you have to do is look at an organization like the Cleveland Browns or, uh, you know, before them, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. He's what is up with Ohio professional sports teams. Um, but uh, you can look at, you know, the Bengals had Achilles Smith. They had all sorts of, the, and I, I could go through and look up a number of the names that they had of quarterbacks that just busted there. And then you go through the list of quarterbacks that that busted in in Cleveland, and there there are just certain organizations where, after a while, you start regarding any quarterback that they draft as the kiss of death. And the thing is, it's that that it stays that way until there's a change in the organization, until the organ until the coaching staff and usually the front office both sort of have turnover enough that the organization is different. And then you'll start to see them have success with another guy. Uh, so I think the evidence is, is such at the pro level, and it's easier to see that evidence at the professional level than at the college level, because the, the, the factors are 
are more obvious, you know, in terms of organizationally and in terms of the talent levels are, are, are closer between the various players at that level. Uh, and, and again, you look at something like the Patriots and they're the opposite, right? You know, you had Brady and then all of a sudden behind him, they, de- they, they developed a couple other quarterbacks that, that turned into, you know, at least decent starters somewhere else. So a lot of it is the, the temperament of the guy and, and the level of preparation that that player comes in with from the prior level, whether that be high school coming into college or college going into the pros, a lot of that is that. But there is a lot that, that you can do as a coach and as an organization to prepare your guy better earlier. And some of that boils down to what you can do to give him simple concepts that uh, to give him answers to anything that, that, that might be out there and not try to try to ask him to do too much. Uh, it you know can boil down to what what kind of supporting cast that that quarterback has. I mean, is he going to be protected well? Is he going to have some some good options to be able to throw the ball up to if it, it or you know a good hot route option if if uh, if he does get pressure? You know, is there going to be a running game? All of those things are factors in whether or not a quarterback is able to survive playing early, uh, and those are organizational factors. But then again, you know, the quarterback also has to be wired a certain way to be able to handle it too. So, so I think it's a, a combination of both, and it, and it is recursive. These things build on one another as well. It's interesting thinking about, and I'm sitting there watching Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and they keep showing Baker Mayfield on there. Um, you, you think of Buck, you think of Mayfield, and you think of Johnny Manziel, two very similar type players, I think, um, very different mindsets. Same situations. Um, Mayfield's going to be successful. It looks like Manziel's throwing trick play touchdowns in the CFL. Uh, but when I see, uh, I watched Clemson, and you knew it was going to happen once Kelly Bryant transferred that uh, Lawrence would get hurt. He gets hurt. They're able to put in their third string, now second string quarterback, and he didn't have to do anything other than make one pass. And that pass was as good a pass as I've seen from a Carolina quarterback all year. <laughs> and they end up winning a ball game that they very could have easily lost because of an untimely injury and untimely transfer. But I think it has a lot to do with the coaches. I think it probably weights more heavily with the coaches than the players' mindset. Your take before we move on to something else. Well, you know, I, I would say this, that um, as Jason was talking about earlier about the running back situation at North Carolina, I think North Carolina has some good running backs. And they have been fairly lucky this year. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions, but they've been fairly lucky in terms of keeping their offensive line together uh, through camp and, and to this point in the season. And in addition, I think they've got talent at the wide receiver position. You know, they've, they've got, uh, ARW, they've got Daz Newsom, they got Diami Brown, uh, they've got Antoine green. They got Thomas Jackson. There's some talent there on the offense, um, outside of the quarterback position. So if you give you know if it was last year i would say no way do you put uh paid fortin into the game 
and same similar circumstances because North Carolina's offense was very down. They had big problems on the offensive line. They had big problems at receiver. They weren't as flush at running back. But I think they've got many key components of a decent offense available um, in this particular season in 2018. They've got some talent there on offense. And so I would be more inclined to throw a um, you know, a true freshman into the mix. And Fortin has been there since January. I mean, uh, he didn't get to go through spring practice uh, exactly because he had some injury situations, but he, he's been able to work with the quarterback uh, coaches and uh, look at film and, and get uh, acclimated to a certain degree. But I, I do think there is talent there on the offense, except at one position. I mean, even at tight end, you know, the, you've got Carl Tucker and Garrett Walston has, has made a player too, and Jake Vargas, and, uh, you know, the running backs look decent and, and the wide receivers look decent. The missing piece is quarterback. And and so I, I don't know why, if you're thinking about trying to give the fan base some hope going forward, uh, you know, I'm sounding like Tommy Ashley now in, in terms of the backup quarterback is my favorite guy. But in this particular situation, I don't know why you don't take that gamble. You know, it's it's a gamble, I think, but it's a gamble that might be worth taking. Good stuff. I'm going to take a quick break, come back. I got one more question for Jason, um, and it might not be what you think it is. Jason, uh, I watched a pretty good ball game Saturday night. Um, and if my mind didn't deceive me, Penn State should have won that game by three touchdowns. But what in the hell was going on at the end of the Ohio State-Penn State ball game? Your thoughts on James Franklin and those play calls there at the end. And we talk about play calling a lot. We say it's not that big a deal most of the time. But just wow, watching them uh, manage to give that ball game away at the very end. I'm just going to tell you, I sat there with my jaw, literally with my jaw down in disbelief for probably two, three solid minutes after watching that last play call. I'm pretty sure I actually, like I I was watching that uh, alone and just sitting there on the couch just went, what? And then just sat there for like probably two minutes, just I, I stunned. I I I I have no idea what went through their head to to make that the play call on on fourth and five. Listen, if it had been fourth and two, I could get I I could get behind that call potentially. Fourth and five, you're asking, and and especially given the front that you had just seen them line up on or, or line up in, you had just seen them line up in that front. You knew who was on the line of scrimmage, how many guys were in the box, and you're going to run. You're going to run a play that's going to require a guy to break at least one tackle based on on that front. I completely baffled, completely, completely baffled by that particular call. And like you said, play calling a lot of times not that big a factor, but 
That one? Unbelievable ball game. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable ending, and I am not an Ohio State fan. And I don't care much about Penn State either, but I could not believe it. And I know a lot of How people. How do you take the ball out of, out of your quarterback's hands there? He'd been 94% of your offense to that point. How? <laughs> And just let them sneak out of there. And Urban Meyer looked like he'd stole something leaving the building. But uh, good stuff, guys. Good stuff, Buck, Jason. I'm Tommy Ashley. Uh, we'll get together again next week without a ball game. We'll have to think of something to talk about. Maybe our listeners can give us some topics they want to hear Buck and Jason pontificate on. That'll do it for this evening. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy. Always Thanks, fun. Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.